0: I left my family i left my kids i left my nightclubs my parking company 35 million dollars to fight the fight and both families gambino and
1: the banano family joe messina the boss of the banano family i helped him against the guys
0: who were ratting against him he turned state evidence in World wire. his underboss salvatale came in and he ratted Captain Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie used to have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. And after I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man, he ratted. Greg DePalma, another one of John Gotti's big guys, he ratted rat dom another one of his made guys he rat mikey scars had joe little joey DeAngelo and john jr had him rat because they turned on him he had nowhere to go another guy mikey scars brother-in-law they, they buried him so he had to he had to come in and i won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains made guys giving these guys up one at a time
2: And we're live. Another edition of the the Johnny and Gene Show. I'm Felix Levine. To my right, I have John A. Light. And to my far right, Gene Barello. And today's guest, Doug, Anton, thank you for, uh, for being on the show today. Pleasure. So... Uh, I like to, you know, just have a a brief introduction and have you do it if you don't mind, um, because I feel like you will do your own introduction slightly better um, and only do you justice. Just for the people that aren't familiar with you, will you please give us just a a small background on yourself and um, and then after eventually uh, how you know this guy over here?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Doug Anton. I'm an attorney uh, licensed to practice in state and federal courts uh, throughout the country. Um, I uh, represent uh, my practice as a general practice, but I mostly do criminal defense and entertainment law, which sometimes uh, the two cross over. My entertainers have some criminal matters and sometimes the criminal defense clients are involved in the entertainment business or become investors in the entertainment business or have excellent stories of their own intellectual properties that we seek to uh, move through the fields of entertainment been a practicing attorney for 25 years in good standing with all the states that i practice in i also own a company called conception sports and entertainment management where we handle the careers of athletes um, as well as uh, entertainers i'm a licensed uh, nfl um, i'm sorry nba um, player agent uh, and i do work as an attorney for nfl players um, and pretty much every sports teams out there i do work for players uh, either legal or agent work for players including boxing and uh, most recently mma in fact um, one of my clients buddy mcgert and john you know buddy uh, buddy mcgert is uh, been hired and is now training deontay wilder for the next fight so that's a huge bump to buddy and he's doing fantastic um so that's a great thing for us there but uh, he's out in la uh, to, Or. Vegas or L.A. uh, training him now. So we're looking forward to that. But my practice is a general one. For some unknown reason, as John will attest, I don't sleep. So I'm available 24 hours to all my clients whenever they need me. Most recently, uh, uh, the case that has kept me up is representing uh, R. Kelly in his New York uh, criminal matters uh, in federal court in the Eastern District of New York and in state court in Chicago. Um, He also has federal charges in Illinois, which I am not representing him on. I'm not licensed in uh, in Illinois, uh, although I am uh, for the state court matter on a special license when I was brought in for that. So my office is in North Jersey, Hackensack, New Jersey, and I live in North Jersey as well. That's about it.
2: Now, I have I have so many questions for you personally. Um, I guess, well, the first one, obviously, is how did you, uh, you know, how would you and John kind of get in touch? And then. What's your, you know, process like uh, when you determine who you're going to bring on as a client or not? And then um, I guess maybe if, you, if you're allowed to uh, just kind of the relationship you've developed with John over the years and uh, what it's like being his, uh, you know, his attorney.
1: Uh, first, I got to find out, John. Did you fire me today? No, you're still good. Yeah, John <laughs> fires me regularly when we have arguments about stuff. John, uh, let no one ever think that John doesn't make his own decisions and is completely in charge of his life and his career. Um, so, uh, I think it was about 2011. Either it was through Kim or somebody else. Yeah, it was from uh, Kim
0: from The Housewives.
1: Yeah, Kim and our judge friend uh, was involved in uh, 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 having us meet. And uh, John came out uh, of uh, prison at that time, and uh, I was turned on to him by Kim D. from the New Jersey Housewives in the sense of not here's this guy who served time, not this, but here's a guy with exceedingly interesting intellectual property, which is his life and his involvement as um, uh, a right hand, if you will, of John Gotti Jr. and uh, of the things that he did along those lines in that life. So any intellectual property like that I take an interest in. I wasn't representing Sammy at the time. That came a little after. Um, But uh, I had represented other people in organized crime and just criminals or alleged criminals uh, indeed. And uh, I took an interest in John uh, to meet with him for the intellectual property. But then when I got to know John, uh, I would dare say that we'd become good friends uh, over a uh, period of these last eight or nine years, um, to the point like brothers, where uh, we argue, we scream, we yell. Um, I haven't put a hit at John, but uh, I didn't try to to kill him. I threatened him a couple times. uh, <laughs> so uh, John's always been there for me when uh, I've needed him and I hope I've always been there for him um, we've worked on several intellectual properties together we worked on a lot of film the uh, stuff that he's filmed um, and uh, I make sure his contracts are in order before he shows up on set somewhere uh, and make sure that nobody is going to treat him uh, wrong because uh, the repercussions they will feel from hurting John has nothing to do for with John where used to maybe. Now it has to do with me. Uh, mm-hmm. I will make sure that he's well protected. John will just turn it over to me, and I will do, always do things in the legal way. I've been criticized for it. Uh, I've been
0: uh, 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 chastised
1: told that I'm hmm. representing bad people and this and that. Well, criminal defense attorneys always get told we're representing <laughs> bad people because those are the ones accused. But if you look at my record of acquittal, turns out that juries... M- j- m- of the time say that my clients were indeed not guilty. So that's actually a pretty good thing that I happen to be representing, not guilty people. But uh, so the process that John and I have, in the beginning, it was, um, let's see, John referring interested people in John and his story to me saying doug i got this interest i got this and that and then me trying to negotiate deals with him and mostly weeding out who was just excited to talk to john and who was actually a legitimate player who could do something with uh, his intellectual property his story um and then it turned into just me getting phone calls from john when he started putting out segments of his intellectual party uh, property we set, f- filmed that thing for uh who was Beth with Beth was with the history channel history. We channel. filmed that thing with Beth and that got out there and that was great. We filmed that thing for Netflix, either it's been on or it's coming on soon. I think the Netflix thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, that people yeah. flew it, have flown in from all over the world to do filming for John here and John's flown uh, to several places uh, to do filming and to, uh, give lectures, and that's another aspect of what John does. I'm not much involved with it because it doesn't generate income. Not that I'm only involved in the things that generate income, but there's nothing for me to do when John books his own speaking and lectures for helping youth uh, steer away from the life that was stolen from him, from those uh, aspects of that. And there's nobody better than to discuss the pitfalls of being a drug addict than a drug addict. There's nobody better than the pitfalls of a uh, a life spent in crime and uh, with the mafia than a guy who has left that life and now wants to teach about it. Do mm-hmm. um, you have to have the experience in order to teach appropriately? And I have gone like when we go to the PAL stuff here in town, or we go and I have gone. Oh, Philly, when we went to that thing with George, um, I have gone to some of them. The audience is captivated because they have the real deal sitting in front of them. And they know that it's not just someone who talks about like uh, they see um, people who lawyers who can't law do law teach uh, and so on so and law, real lawyers go to well in John's world he has been there so when he talks about it it's not like well you'll hear in the industry that you know mafia guys do this and that John speaks from what he was involved in and that sets a a. a a, a roadmap for kids to be, like, yeah, those 10 things that led you in that direction, I'm on number four. I better stop or else this is foreseeable what's that going to take place. So our life now is about talking about um, my dad before he passed away, John's family and their health, um, uh, when we're going to get together and smoke some cigars down at the beach and what new intellectual property inquiries we have received for him. And then he gives me updates, sometimes emotional updates, uh, with respect uh, to some of the people he has reached and touched and uh, uh, the kids that he has set their lives and sometimes he reads me letters um, uh, from parents that oh my God, whoever thought that the saving grace for my child would come from this type of person who was there and uh, it's it's a tribute. I'm not saying that John hasn't done bad things in his past but if we uh, I'm not a, a greatly religious person, but I do read I have read the Bible. if we go by the Bible, what John's doing is something that uh, uh, the religions would approve of. You have to repent and then make amends for what you're doing. And uh, I think that's where we're at now and that it generates income for John so that he can do good with that. Uh, I know John's against saying what charities and stuff he gives to, but uh, I'm involved in those things as well. And, uh, He's uh, he's made a great turnaround, and and I think that it's starting to show. And people want to hear what he has to say because he delivers a message properly, intelligently, and with a background that makes you understand it's for real.
2: Now, I have a quick question for you. When you're, uh, you know, I mean, you're dealing with some of the most high-profile individuals in the world, really. Um, how do you personally vet who you're going to bring on? And are there any? moral qualms about, you know, some people that come to you and, you know, for sure they're guilty of what they've done. Um, You know, some people are controversial, whatnot. How do you kind of respond to that criticism and go through your own kind of, you know, the psyche of of picking who you want to defend and and be associated with, really? Well,
1: I I say this. I don't judge anyone. Uh, My job as a criminal defense attorney is not ever to put my arm around somebody and say, hey, this dude's a good guy. You should find him not guilty. In fact, that's called vouching for a client. We're not even permitted to do that as lawyers. I never vouch for a client in court. Like I said, I'm friends with John. Now I vouch for him as a decent human being uh, now, and I don't know him when he was doing things that were not decent. So I could just say that I know the man. I like the man. I trust the man. As far as other clients go, I've always said this and it's gotten me some criticism for it, but, I don't care what you're alleged to have done. I don't know that you did it. And even if you tell me you did it, the law is set up for ways we handle that. It. It's not my job to prove a client innocent. It's my job to make sure the government proves them guilty beyond mm-hmm. a reasonable doubt. That's all it is. It's making, giving the jury everything they need to know to make a proper decision. If I do that and the client is found guilty, I don't have any problem with it because a jury will have made that decision. Um, Luckily, in my practice thus far, I haven't had very many instances where somebody has been found guilty. That's not to say I'm Superman and I win every case. It's that the ones where the client says, yes, I is me on video. I did do that, but the guy attacked me first and I stabbed him back. You you plea out those cases to something reasonable and you try to make deals with them so that the system moves smoothly and the person's life isn't destroyed by a trial that would put him in jail for 25 years. Instead, he does five years uh, and uh, uh, saves everybody uh, grief and money. So as far as clients go, I say this regularly. I've taken some hit. I don't care who you are. I would have represented Saddam Hussein. In fact, I tried to get on that defense. Uh, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, the devil. I don't care. It doesn't mean I'm a bad guy and I want them to get free. It means that when I take a case on like that, if you have a guy like me or like Steve Greenberg in, who's also assisting who's also in charge of the, um, the uh, R Kelly case at Chicago and uh, is has been R Kelly's attorney for years, you have Tom Farinella uh, or Mike uh, Leonard, but these guys, they take on clients to help them. And we don't, we can't judge the client or else nobody defense attorney would ever take on a client. So um, I don't judge anyone. I would represent anyone and do my job to make sure they get a fair shake. If at the end, and the system should want this and it does want this, if in the end the client is found guilty, well, then you know that if a guy like myself was fighting hard for the client and he was found guilty, then you really can know he's guilty. Because I've given it everything I can to make sure that the system worked its way through and all the evidence was looked at properly. And I'm not alone. There's thousands and thousands of amazing attorneys out there who fight crazy hard for their clients. uh, Public defenders being one of the top people uh, on the list of doing that. So um, I don't care what someone's accused of. I will always defend them. Now, the next question is, how do I pick? It's just about the amount of time. It's a matter of how much time I can dedicate to that client. I can't, I get a lot of celebrity clients contacting me to represent them in various things. And I just can't do it all. And my clients, once they hire me, they don't want any of the attorneys or anybody working for me to be their main person. Uh, we have them do the work. We have some excellent people here, but they want me on it 24 hours a day. And it's not that easy to do. And as I get older, as you can tell from some of the gray here, um, I got to have somewhat of a life, you know?
2: Now. So- I, I also have a quick question. You, because, you know, you obviously represent John. Uh, you also mentioned uh, another big mafia name is uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano. Um, yes. What, you know, and it, has it been like working? I mean, I know you, you you work with a variety of athletes and criminal, whatever it may be, but specifically John and, and also Sammy, will you talk about uh, – those experiences and, and how those two have been maybe different from a legal standpoint. Um, and how person, you know, I, you've talked about your personal relationship with John, but maybe if, if that's also developed with Sammy and how that's different or, or similar. Um, if you're allowed to, to go into some of that.
1: Sure. I'll, I'll touch upon it. Well, John, I already went into already and John and I are, are considerably closer than uh, Sammy and I are. So, uh, I think it was uh, Karen had uh, Karen Gravano, uh, Sammy's daughter, had some issues, and uh, John turned me on to talking to Karen, and then Karen gave me a call with regard to some issues. Uh, Grand Theft Auto had stolen her name and likeness, uh, was the position she had taken, um, with uh, uh, Tom Farinell, an excellent attorney uh, who I work with with the R. Kelly case. I brought him on for that. Um, uh, so he was working with her on that, and he was also assisting Sammy on his motion to be released early from uh, jail uh, on a drug crime in Arizona in the early 2000s. So I came on with that, and I went and met Sammy several times and worked on that matter with him. And uh, uh, and we had Sammy, uh, and then Sammy got released um, uh, as a result of uh, his sentence and the, and the work we did. So uh, I met Sammy maybe tw- 10, 12 10 or so times at the federal uh, facility, um, and uh, even though he's out, I'm not going to say where it was because I don't know if that's appropriate, but I met him there um, and uh, we went over his case. He's an interesting uh, gentleman in that he's intense. Uh, he's funny, he's likable, He's uh, uh, but he's an intense gentleman. Um, And uh, he's intense because of who he is. He's intense with everything he does. He understands everything. Um, uh, A very highly intelligent person, very loving family person. Um, And uh, we had some really good conversations. Um, But Sammy, when you have a conversation with Sammy the Bull Gravano, he is an intense human being. And uh, that comes across in literally everything he does. So um, then he got released and he went back to Arizona with his family. We talked a couple times and uh, uh, we were working on doing a um, uh, something about exploiting his intellectual property of his life as well. I happened to be uh, skilled in establishing a... Um, there's a son of Sam law that says anything somebody does can be uh, if, they, if a person has been convicted of a crime, they can't make money off that crime. And each law has their own applicable son of Sam parameters. Right. And it was changed from its original thing. The Supreme Court changed it because of freedom of expression. But uh, there are ways I don't want to say around it, but there are ways to make sure victims crime compensation boards get their money that they're entitled to. But that also the person with the intellectual property doesn't have a blanket theft from him of what his life has consisted of. And that's a constitutionally protected thing under the First Amendment. Um, For example, if John were to say, hey, let me tell you a story about how I went in there and got this guy Vinnie Boombats and stabbed him in the throat and so (laughs) on and so that I'm sorry, just totally generic there. Uh, That would be something that would be uh, compensable by the uh, he'd have to pay the income from that to the victim's crime compensation. John were to write a cookbook about his life and, you know, tell anecdotic stories, just because John's making money off of his fame uh, uh, or his notoriety does not mean any of that needs to go to victim's crime compensation. So when you have an interview, for example, somebody interviews John, that is not John telling his story for profit. That is him giving an interview and, you know, in news interviews, they don't pay. So, uh, uh, which is what took place with the, um, uh, Scotty's Rules book. Um, that was an interview by uh, renowned author, uh, George Anastasia. Um, and John's recent books, Darkest Hour and, and the, the trilogy, are more about his life in general, only pointing to some degree at some of the things he's done. And we, and we break those down like a musicologist would do. We uh, do it like a literologist would do. It's sort of a term I made up to break down what percentages might be applied. But Sammy's an intense guy. That's not to say John's not intense, but having known John and hung out with him more. If Sammy was local, I'd be hanging out with Sammy smoking cigars as well, but uh, he's in Arizona and uh, I don't get to see him that often.
0: How about, Doug, uh, your newest client? Uh, yes. Sitting to the right of me, Gene Borello.
1: Yes. Gene has got an amazing story that I've just been uh, advised of through John and through Gene about two weeks ago. Gene, uh, can I discuss what we... Of course, yeah. Okay. So uh, we met with a well-renowned author. I don't know how much you guys have discussed it already on the show, but we we met with a great um, author who does a lot of uh, organized crime writing, um, and uh, we put together the synopsis, And uh, I've taken the synopsis and run it by a couple of um, literary agents thus far and one publishing company. And I can hear the drool starting to uh, foam (laughs) around the mouth. So uh, I'm looking forward to putting this intellectual property out there. And I'll tell you this, your story is great in that the government will read this story. I mean, a lot of our purchasers will be government officials. will be like, how did it all go down? You know, Uh, it's giving an inside window on a lot of the things that have gone down. So we have uh, the, the story is a result of uh, a great uh, interview that was done with Gene uh, and put together. So uh, we should look for something probably in the beginning of next year. We want to wait, you know, uh, to make sure that the companies all have their budgets for uh, after COVID and all the employees are safely back to work. Um, but uh, it'll be great because with Gene's story and with John's, um, you have the lecture capability because it's more than just a this happened story. It, it, it makes people inquire further into what were you going through when that happened? Or when you heard that happened, how did you feel? And what? So their stories are interactive stories that um, uh, uh, lead to further discussion. And, and I learned this from John and education. And with education comes people's ability to evolve, understand. And then really get past what has taken place. I have been stunned to learn that some of John's recent and last five-year friends have been relatives of people he has not been very nice with and, dare I say, have have committed crimes against. And uh, they want to know from John, what was it my dad doing or what was he involved in? You're right, John? I mean, you can, you know, the names if you want, want to. I mean, a lot of people but, that,
0: and that's why, you know, obviously Gene came on board to... Uh, Help me and uh, continue the same thing to the younger generation of kids to talk about staying away from crime and what it is and why we got into it, and how do we influence them to get uh, get away from it. So right. that's a big part of what we're doing and uh, and what Gene's doing now with me, talking to whether individuals one on one or in groups or in big uh, you know high schools like I did at Newark High School with this right. four or five hundred kids inside the auditorium while I'm talking to them about staying away from the pitfalls of the street.
1: Right. Well, I I tell you, with Gene's story, I'm looking forward to it because your story is now turned from the books to film. So we're picking those different film projects we have. But Gene's story is great because it's now coming in. The vehicle is going to be the book. And then uh, we'll probably within two years be looking at a Hulu or Amazon Prime or a Netflix thing as well. Um, to put that together. And it's good because it, it's an evolution of uh, the storyline that helps educate people. And, John, you, you and I know we talked to uh, our my new recent friend, Duncan, uh, who is his witness protection name. Uh, I'm not going to say anything more than that, but uh, he's a guy that just recently came out of witness protection who is a, would you say, a, a major player, he and his brother?
0: Uh, his brother was a very major player, and uh, he stepped in and he was involved in, obviously, some serious crimes, some murders, and right. he got involved wearing wires in some serious, dangerous situations. And uh, no doubt. Well, we, had the, the, yeah. hi, yeah. we had a great
1: conversation. He says hi, by the way. We had a great conversation. He's given me uh, rights to his intellectual property. And uh, that is after genes this is all up and running. That's the next one we're going to move on. And I think that one is completely different than jeans as just a great story because it involves a lot of law, too, because he became involved working with law enforcement, stuff like that. And uh, uh, I think it's a great it's a great story because it's all real. It's all real and gritty. And it's like finding Bigfoot. for. Like, well, we yeah. And, him, and
0: his you know, brother was, like I say, a very time. good friend of mine, a very serious, dangerous uh, mm-hmm. uh, hitter. So right. this is the he comes from some uh, hierarchy in a mob, no doubt and uh he knows the life no doubt and uh i wish him and his brother well and his brother was yeah. happens to be like i said a very good friend of mine I, and i did some time with him over the years and so he's going to have some interesting uh future too
2: john i have a question for you when you uh when you're at a point where you needed to find an attorney how did you know uh how did you kind of gauge who was going to be the right fit and then ultimately settle on on doug and uh and, you know, I guess I think it's also interesting for people to hear from the, uh, I guess, the, the accused side when they're looking for for an, uh, an attorney, um, you know, that vetting process that you go through to figure out who's gonna be the right guy for your job.
0: Well, when I first met Doug, we sat down and we, he doesn't drink, but uh, we were sitting down and we, we were at a, a mutual uh, party that uh, a, a, an ex Supreme Court judge is a friend of ours. Uh, STK. Also. Yeah, STK, oh, that's, that's right, STK, yeah. and uh, we, we talked about some of his clients that were ball players. that some of the mutual friends of mine also, uh, we have some business partners that were friends, uh, he uh, was involved with the, a guy, Randy, uh, that's Jerry Cooney's uh, co-host on a radio show I did that Doug put me on, that I know Jerry since we're kids from, from the boxing, from the gyms, and uh, so we did a radio show together, so we had so much mutual connection, and then Kim D with the housewives, and so I think it was just, uh, we hit it off intellectually, hit it off with business and and uh, we just uh, started staying with each other socially and business-wise. So I think it was a good connection and it was an easy, you know, it really wasn't a transition. It was kind of easy, like he said, and I'm, you know, he talked about intense with Sammy, he, but I'm intense and he knows it. I scream, I yell the next day, he curses me out. Two days later, we're killing each other and then we make up. So. That's just part of the business, and and the intensity really isn't a bad thing. It's what keeps us going, motivates, and and generates, uh, uh, I guess, that push that you need in this business to keep fighting and keep going. So, and I think, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you actually while we're going through this is, and because I hear it a lot, and they everybody's always asked me, can you ask Doug this, ask Doug that? So I'm going to ask you because you're defending R. Kelly right. uh, about women that are in there, you know what are the early 20s to uh 50 or 60 years old with the you know with the big woman's push and equal rights and what's your take on you you know because people are trying to ask me these questions about well what happened i says listen i don't know the r kelly case and i don't know doug stand on stance on young women from whether they're teenagers or older and you know women's what's your belief of the situation of respecting woman, disrespecting woman, the case itself, if you can answer that, you know, because sure. I get a lot of that.
1: Sure, I mean, to the best of my ability, Well, first of all, I'll, I'll talk about it on the legal sense. Um, statutory rape is defined in various states differently by age, is that means a person, of a, a woman or a, or a man, a boy of a certain age is not permitted to give consent to sexual conduct with another person um, of a certain age. Now we have, like for example, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's evolved that the law has modified itself such that a 13-year-old girl who is underage can engage in um, activity with a 14-year-old boy, and it doesn't uh, fit the law because they're both under a certain age. But there is a there's a legal parameters around that. Different ages in different states are the uh, are consent. States with strict liability make it so that if um, and I'll use, I'm not going to use myself, I'll use Jean, for example, make it so that if a woman, a young lady who is in a state where the age of consent is 17, and the woman is 16 years old and 364 days, and at one in the morning, she'll be uh, of legal age of consent, if on that day, she meets Jean, likes him, roofies him, uh, knocks him out, sometimes get, somehow gets him aroused, and then has intercourse with him. And robs me? In Jean's Uh (laughs) trial, in Jean's trial, if they ask her, uh, yes, I wanted this, I roofied him, I did this, I did that, I did everything, Jean didn't even know about it. Uh, Was Jean's penis inside of you? Yes, that's it, done for Jean, because that's a strict liability state. Now, you would seek jury nullification and it would be crazy the jury have to look at that and be like, I mean, come on. But the law is clear, some states, have um, different things. If you reasonably believe the person was a certain age, like if they show you ID, fake ID, I'm 20, and they don't look like they're 12, you know? I mean, I don't know why people would do that except in the celebrity thing. And I'm not talking about R. Kelly's case in particular, but except in the celebrity. People well, it happened
0: why- with, and I don't mean to cut you off, it happened with Mike Tyson, he was charged with yep. rape, which I believe he was innocent, my own personal opinion uh, uh SAP from the uh, buck from the Tampa Bay box he hung out in my club is another guy that I I, uh, I don't know the whole details of what he was accused with but I know SAP and I thought he was always a gentleman so I don't know the laws in each state and, and each county what goes on with some of these situations. I think a lot of these and I'm not talking against women in general because for the most part you know I advocate and I go to court for domestic abuse for women on their behalf. But on some of these technical cases where I think some of these guys are getting mischarged, I don't know if they're being overcharged by an overzealous prosecutor or uh, you know, the, the law is stringent on where the law's at, I'm really not it, sure. It,
1: it's interesting because it's a combination of all those things in the circumstances and it's tough to navigate this field, I have to be honest with you. Um, first of all, I wanna make it very clear. Anytime a uh, man, assaults a woman i have to say also a woman assaults a man but i'm going to use the man and woman situation rather than the reverse um it should be reported to the police no woman or any person deserves to be assaulted no person deserves to be raped there's no excuse for it i wouldn't tolerate it i would still defend somebody but i wouldn't tolerate it in the sense that ah, let that person go i'll defend them to make sure that it was raped that the person maybe didn't say yes and then he didn't get the message that it was no and i mean a lot happens there's so much to that dynamic a woman can say no anytime during the sexual encounter however if she says it right before there's you know the the finish of it or if there's music or if they're drunk i mean it's it, we try to avoid those situations for example mike tyson had intercourse with that woman Why a woman that he really didn't know or she really didn't know him would go up to his hotel room at two o'clock in the morning was probably to engage in a sexual encounter with Mike Tyson, not to be raped, but probably to engage in a sexual encounter. And I know from representing some of my athletes that there's so many women that come on to them, be with them sexually, and leave immediately that that's the pattern. The woman just wants the sexual experience, got to get back to their husband or their boyfriend or their whatever and say, oh, my God, I had this session. Just like a guy would want that with a supermodel. We don't want to marry these supermodels, some of those guys. We'd love to, you know, wow, she's beautiful. She wants me. Oh, my God, sure. I go backstage, whatever. All right? So the problem is some of the women have the fantasy of I'm going to go to Mike Tyson's room, I'm going to make love to him, and then I'm going to be Mike Tyson's girl. So when Mike finishes, and he and this is a hypothetical, but I'm using Mike as an example, he goes into the shower and comes out. He's like, wiping his hair. He's bald, but whatever. He goes, "Uh, you're still here? Yeah, get the fuck out. That's not taken well by some women. I'm not a whore. I'm not a this, that. no, you're not. But you engaged in a consensual sexual act. Now that it's over, you want something more than the other person does. That he or she doesn't and wants you to leave does not change. What just took place was completely consensual. So what we have, and I believe, and I've said this before, is revisionist history. You engage in a sexual relationship with somebody, and then you decide afterwards that you wanted more, they didn't. And you say, well, I wouldn't have given you my body if I thought it was just a one-night stand or something like that. So therefore, I really didn't knowingly consent. I thought it was gonna be something more. They're defining the longation of the relationship or a relationship, even if just a close friendship with the consensual act, right? And that is something that has happened recently and women have made it a, a mantra of me too in that I was abused that way too. Well, now well, that's women saying, I don't have the ability to make decisions for myself so therefore, someone else, please help me define in these rare situations what just happened to me. It should not take a prosecutor of a state to go on TV. Hey, if you were abused by this person, call us up and we'll hear about your case. And all of a sudden, hundreds of calls come in to redefine a consensual sexual relationship that took place in the past. Well, not. Let me- with
0: children, I'm just saying in general. Let me ask you a now, without mentioning clients' names and your involvement. And a couple of these guys were involved with your your practice. That's how I met them from the New York Giants. We were in Long Branch. We had a cabana. There was several yes. of us, and the same thing. A girl walks into our cabana, or there were several girls actually, and there was a little situation, and we had a conversation about this because they are, or well, we all are actually in the media, and they walk into these cabanas and the cabanas close, they can allocate almost anything. And that's the Absolutely. reason why we discussed that they can't stay in these cabanas like that because right. they get drunk, they remove their clothes, they say whatever they're gonna say. And the problem is, especially the ball players are scrutinized to such an extent that uh, these things are, you, 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 how do you how do you defend those charges? I got a great Some answer to this. Guys, yeah. go ahead.
1: And a great answer to this. And it only started as of, I would say, last summer, about this time last summer. So I get a call from the San Diego Police Department. Mr. Anton, we understand you represent, I can't say his name, but a, a major football player. If I said his name, you'd be like, holy fuck. So, uh, Holy crap. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so um, uh, we have a woman that has accused him of a sexual assault. I said, OK, fantastic. So uh, he's now... Uh, yeah, training he's in texas uh let me give him a call so i trained him he's not from texas they were just training in texas so i give him a call and uh he was training so he called me back later and i remember it was interesting because he was eating he was very calm and he's like okay what dog okay uh, when was it i said i don't know it happened sometime over the uh, last season over the winter okay where san diego okay all right we'll find out the information so i call the officer back and i go back and forth a couple of times to get information now the officer was telling me his detectives tell me hey I'm not giving you this information so your client can call her and threaten her. I said, no, no, no. I just, I have a feeling I know where this is going. So he goes, okay, hold on. And then I hear something like this. And he's clicking through uh, digital recordings. And at the advice of one of his other agents or attorneys, uh, my football players, my sports people, and now the music guys are literally wearing cameras with them at all times. Or they have a uh, a uh, clock they take <laughs> with them uh, uh, on a tour or and they put it in the hotel room or whatever it is. And he was able to pull up the video from that event. And he needed to know what time because he had two sexual encounters that day with two different people. One was this woman. And um, it was just like I, the example I got before about going in the shower and coming out and saying, get the hell out. Uh, was this example, because he came out of the shower and she's still there. She said, oh, I ordered room service. like, room service? Honey, listen, you're a sweetheart. You're good, but we did our thing here. You got to leave. I said, oh, okay. And it was not until two months later that we even heard about this. Why? Because she gave something of goodness to herself, her body, her soul, her, her love, in her mind. To him, it was Tuesday. To her, it was a major event. All right. She was delusioned about it, but it doesn't change that she consented to the act. Anyway, I get him on the phone, the detective. I have the video. He sends it to me by email. I take some still pictures. Is this the woman? Yes. Okay. I want you right now on your phone to go on FaceTime with me. We go on FaceTime. I want to see the room behind you. Nobody's in the room. Stay right there. Don't touch that phone. And I don't want to see anybody behind you. This way, I know he's not recording what's going on on the phone. And I show him the video, including the end, which is 45 minutes long, including the end with get the hell out and so on and so forth. And then he ends it. And he goes, I need a copy of that. I said, you're not getting a copy of it, but you have nothing to charge my client on. And then he calls me back. He goes, does your client want to file perjury charges against this? Woman? <laughs> I said, oh, no, he does not. And that was the end of it. Well, now, Doug- other clients have come to me, John, and I've now been drafting at like 10 grand a shot sexual consent contracts. Powerful businessmen, mostly businessmen, not even sports athletes, powerful businessmen um, come to me and they say, I want you to draft this contract. I hear you're good at drafting. That it includes to it the woman. You know I'm married. You know I have another girlfriend. You know I travel a lot. You know I work a lot. You're not going to be my girlfriend, but I will help you and take care of you and this and that, and we will have a relationship. It doesn't protect anyone from rape or assault or crimes. But when a woman then comes later and says, I thought we'd get married, and I thought we were married, and it's palimony and this and that. They can't say that because they had informed consent about this gentleman that he was going to be this guy. And they can't come back and say that they didn't know that, and therefore they were abused and mentally abused. Now, sexually, it's a whole different story. He touches her the wrong way, rapes her. If she makes love to him 100 times on the 101 time, it can be rape. If she says no, and I'm a proponent of that. And I represent rape rape victims in making sure their cases are prosecuted many times, holding their hand through the process. But, uh, we need some definition because some people hear from other people that the reason why their life is not so good now is because they were the victim of abuse. And it's not true. They made a decision. They made a bad decision. Listen, we all have made decisions about being with women that we don't like, but we don't go back and sue them for it. Right.
0: Well, we got to end it at that. And, uh, Appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we could get Pleasure. you in the studio. And uh, you guys have anything else to say for it. Uh, well, with Doug, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll be speaking to you and see you in the future. Yes, definitely. Um, also, I mm-hmm. want to give a shout out to one of my friends, um, my friend, Sammy Wall. I was locked up with him. He stood a true friend to me.
2: Um, he ended up, we ended up staying in touch through the years. He always told me, Gene, when you come home, I got you. I says, you know, I hear that a lot. Sure enough, today I'm picking up my brand new 2020 Porsche GTS from him (laughs) so um, (laughs) this guy really kept his word and it's on the arm he's letting me use his car this is great you know I'm excited I love buying cars so I gotta say he's been a true friend to me and uh that's, that's all I got to say. Thank and, you, Sammy. And, for, and from my end, Doug, it was, a, it was a pleasure meeting you. I hope that, I know you're busy, but I hope one day we can bring you into the studio. This has been one of my uh, personal favorite episodes. I think it's super interesting yeah. to hear this, this kind of side of the world. So um, thank you for taking the time, and uh, we'll stay in touch.
0: And, Doug, for me, it wasn't as interesting as we talk every day. So... And no, so, no it, great, not be no, really, a lawyer was, hey, I'm happy It was know, really great to see you know You know sold on, me on him? We'll see you this week He was talking about Ocean's 11 deal he did I said what, yeah, yeah, George Clooney Is fucking We'll see you this All week
2: right. Thank, Thank you, you, you All right,
0: guys. Bye